Happy Easter Vertical Church. There's something restorative about being in this room together, isn't there? Reminding myself of last year, we were stuck at home, sitting on the couch, grieving the fact that we couldn't be together, but this year is different, isn't it? We are together, and thank God for that. We've got a renewed sense of what we're celebrating today. See, today we're actually celebrating life, the journey, the mission of Jesus that was intentional and relational that took him 33, roughly 33 years to accomplish, has been accomplished. And in the most direct, dramatic plot twist that the world has ever known, Friday happened first and then Sunday. The world saw death and they thought it was over. His disciples, his closest friends, they saw his death and they thought it was over. The enemy saw his death and he thought it was over. But then Sunday reminded all of those people with Jesus, hear me on this vertical church, it's never over. We celebrate today that Jesus now is sitting in this very moment in a place of honor and authority and petition. A place of honor because he is God. A place of authority because he is God. A place of petition because he's a good God who loves us enough to stay in our fight until it is finished and plead for us every step of the way. This is good news this Easter, isn't it, Vertical Church? I'm so glad you're here to hear this good news. Listen to how Romans chapter 8 verses 34 and 35 put it. Who is to condemn? That's a sermon right there, isn't it? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, more than that, more than the death, he was raised. And now he's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Let me explain what that word means. That means that Jesus is spending his time whispering into the ear of his father right now, saying, make peace with them, make peace with them. Do you need peace today? It's not up to you actually to make that happen because Jesus and all of his authority and all of his power and all of his love is interceding to his father for you at this very moment. In fact, it's no surprise that you're sitting in this room today because Jesus is after you in the best and most real way that he could be. So for those of us today who have become too friendly with condemnation, Easter. For those of us today who have convinced ourselves because of the decisions that we've made in our lives for a season or for decades that we're disqualified from the love of God, Easter. For those of us who are wondering if God is even there and if he is there, what kind of sick God would set up this system, Easter we have today, don't we? It's Easter and for that we have reason to do two things, to hope and to celebrate. Let me be very straightforward with you. If you're in the room or you're joining us online, life happens in seasons. There will be seasons to cry, seasons for sadness, seasons for worry, seasons for anger, and seasons for grief. Everything has a season, but today is the season of celebration. We're here to celebrate, to say together directly to Jesus, job well done. Hebrews chapter 12 puts it this way. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this is a newsflash for all of us today. We're not the first group of people to believe this. People have been believing in Jesus for a very long time. And the Bible says there are a cloud of witnesses letting us know, yes, what you're thinking and what you're feeling is actually true. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus 
He's the starter and the perfecter of faith. And this gets to what we're going to talk about together today. For the joy that was said before him, he endured the cross. He despised its shame. See, in the great economy of God, shame doesn't spin very well. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There it is again. Jesus today is in his rightful place. And the question that we have together as a group of people over the next roughly 20 minutes is, what is Jesus doing with that rightful place? What's he doing with his position? And what's he doing with his power? He's advocating for you. He sees your journey, not failure to failure, but start to finish. And he is still in the fight for your life to rescue your soul from your own plans. He's still in it with you. I don't know if you've had abandonment in your story, if people have walked out when they should have walked in. I don't know if you have those kinds of friends or that kind of family, and it's giving you a distorted picture of who Jesus is walking into this church today, but I have to let you know that Jesus doesn't give up on his kids. He stays in the fight. He secured eternity, and most of us would have stopped there. Jesus, although he left the earth, did not quit on the job. When he became human, he became part of us. And he's sticking with us because he knows what it's like to roam around down here. It's confusing, isn't it, Vertical Church? But Jesus didn't stop, and that's what's celebrating. That's what we're celebrating today, isn't it? For the remainder of our time together today, by the way, we're the kind of church that talks back, so if you hear people that interrupt me in the middle of this thing that we're doing right now, that's like fuel for me. It's not disrespectful. Am I right? Yeah, keep going. Say some more. You're right. That's the kind of thing we say here. If I'm wrong at any point, you can email MeganP at LiveVertical.tv. That's how this goes. For the remainder of today, I don't believe it's our job to unpack the what of Jesus. Because of where we've grown up in the deep south, even people who are far outside of church understand the what of Jesus. That he ran a lap on earth and some things went really bad and then religious people ended up killing him, but that was kind of part of God's plan. It's a good thing. And then the tomb was empty. And then we kind of collectively say, so what? The what of Jesus we don't need to discuss today. It's the why of Jesus I would like to dig into. The why of Jesus is the motivator that we need to about face, to adjust our lives, to come back to center. Why is a huge motivator. In fact, this isn't a new idea. Books have been written about this. One of the most famous, written by Simon Sinek, sold over a million copies to date. Here's what he says. Pay attention to how biblical this sounds. When the why gets fuzzy, it becomes much more difficult to maintain the growth, loyalty, and, keyword inspiration that helped drive the original success. The church was shockingly successful just after Jesus ran his lap. But it's gotten difficult since then, hasn't it, vertical? By difficult, Simon Sinek says, I mean that manipulation rather than inspiration fast becomes the strategy of choice to motivate behavior. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but anybody ever sat in a church service where you felt like you were being manipulated? We don't do that here. We will inspire your socks off today because that's what leads to growth. That's what leads to Jesus. It's my personal proposal today that for most of us, Christian or not, the why of Jesus has become very fuzzy. 
As a result of that, many of us have taken our lives to a bad place, especially those of us that have wandered into churches and been hurt by the church's efforts. Let me just say a collective, I'm sorry if you're a person that that's happened to, but churches are made up of dramatically broken people. That's actually the design. If this is you today, I want to encourage you just to take assessment. There are a lot of folks gathered here. I haven't found a perfect person yet. So if you walked in feeling imperfect and full of shame and guilt for your own story, let me just tell you, welcome to our number. We're a gathering of people that are dramatically broken, that fight shame and guilt on a daily basis only in the fight because of Jesus Christ. See, when it comes to the why of Jesus, we really only have two options. I have to make things simple, especially when it comes to the things of faith that can get very complicated very quickly. There are only two options as to why Jesus did what he did, what we're celebrating today. The first is this. You may recognize it. You're so bad, he had to save you. Every Easter sermon in the South We laugh because it's so true, isn't it? But here's where that leads. We feel so bad that even the work of Jesus Christ can't defeat it. And in case we just slip into that place of joy or freedom that Jesus came for, we're reminded by the people around us that we're just so bad that Jesus just had to do something. That's one option. Now, I would never minimize the fact that all of us have, as the Bible teaches, fallen short, we've missed the mark. But I don't have to remind you of that, do I? So, it begs the larger question. Is that really the reason that Jesus came? Our lives, our world, our planet is just such a train wreck, he just felt compelled to act. If no one else would, then he would stand in and kind of do something about it. Is that the real why of Jesus? You see where I'm headed today, don't you, Vertical? Thankfully, the answer to that question is no. Jesus had a much larger motivator. And if you're one of those among us with a very short attention span, I'm just going to get to the end right now. You won't get too excited. I have other stuff planned. I just want you to hear this. (laughs) The second option, the true option, the forever will be true option is this. You are so valuable, he wanted to save you. That's worth living for Jesus for. Here's how you should hear that second one. Jesus says over your life and over your story, whether you've heard it before today or not, I love you, kid. See, Jesus does a much better job explaining this than I do. You may find that hard to believe. I'm going to let him take the stage here, if that's okay, for just seven verses. Everybody doing all right? This is what Jesus says. Pay attention to when he swoops in with a story. The Bible sets the stage here by telling us tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I love that description. Any notorious sinners here today? Uh, They're all in second service. Okay. (laughs) Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Unbelievable. You mean it wasn't the Christian boycotters that were circling around Jesus? Nope. It was the people who were taking advantage of other people in the most vicious way with their money and notorious sinners. They often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the religious people and the teachers of the religious law complain. Nothing new. 
They complained that he was associating with such sinful people, even going to their house and having supper. You know what I love about this? Is that Jesus decided when he was running his lap, I have one thing to do and one person to please, and it isn't the people that know religion. God has sent me on a rescue mission, and if that means that I have to go to someone's house that's going to damage my reputation as the savior of the world, as a rabbi, you better believe I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do that so much that the people who are running the churches and the temple are going to get really frustrated with me. But what matters most to me are the people who are far from me. And the church didn't like this so much. So Jesus, as a result, opened a Facebook group to complain about them publicly. (laughs) He had shirts printed up, down with religion. No, Jesus did what Jesus does. And he pulled them, catch this vertical church, he pulled them into a story. Jesus begins to speak. The crowd experiences the hush because everybody knew by this point, this guy's pretty good at telling a story, and this is how it goes. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, by the way, this story is so famous, you probably already know what I'm about to say. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Jesus often answers his own question with what's understood. Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Don't you love the understood you in this story? No one interrupts and says, wait a minute, Jesus, you're crazy. That's not how shepherds work. Jesus is using something in their daily life to help them understand we all get it. Shepherds are a little bit crazy that way. They can have 100 things and 99 of them are right there in a row attending church every Sunday and volunteering multiple times a week. But it's the one that's on the shepherd's mind. If that offends you, it's because you don't remember how far from God you were at one point in your story. This is an assumption that Jesus plays off of. No one interrupts the story, and then we get to see the parallels between the story and Easter. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. I love how descriptive the story is here. Notice how this story that Jesus is telling describes not only the actions of the shepherd, but the posture of the shepherd. Here's what Jesus was trying to say. Jesus was trying to say, when you have wandered so far outside of my plan for you that you have run out of energy and you're willing to lay down and die because you don't have the strength to get back home, Jesus says, I'll put you on my shoulders. Let me repeat that. When you get just past the point where people give up on you and you wander into that no man's land where you think there's no coming back and you believe that Jesus and God and all those ideas about church have left you behind because they don't love people like you, Jesus tells a story and says, that's no problem. I'm going to go out and I'm going to find you. And once I find you, I'm going to put you on my back and I'm going to carry you back. Notice that Jesus didn't say in the story, and when the sheep had put money in the offering plate, and when the sheep had listened to enough K-love, 
When the sheep took the right Christian stance on some particular issue and culture, then Jesus was like, okay, now I'll carry you. No, no, no. In this story, Jesus says, when the sheep has done nothing but wandered off and gotten lost, I will do what I will do to bring them home. This is the kind of love that Jesus has for us. And as a natural result, Jesus continues the story by saying, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. You feel lost today in this room. You feel undeserving today in this room. You feel like you've separated yourself from the pack in the wrong way. Jesus is on your heels. And once he finds you, catch this vertical, once he finds you, it brings him joy. He is not resentful for the rescue mission. He is joyful to play a part in your returning and your rescue. Just so they didn't miss it, he says to wrap his story in the same way there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. That's exactly as sensational as it sounds this Easter. Allow me to prove this just a little bit further for those of us among us that maybe are so cynical because of the way that our life has gone. Maybe you think that pastors often manipulate the Bible, especially on Easter. Let me read for you Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Don't be afraid, little flock. It's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, the enemy, since the beginning, I'm going to go off script because we have a little time. That's all right. The enemy, since the beginning, has tried to make it his propaganda to convince you and to convince me, this is an explanation for so much of our stories, that God is actually holding out on us. Maybe this God of the universe, he's made everything and he's designed everything, then where is he? He's holding out on us. He's not giving us something that we desperately need. This is what the enemy whispers, by the way, while Jesus is whispering in heaven, the enemy is whispering on earth exactly to you, trying to convince you the reason why your life is the way that it is right now is because God is some sort of sadistic figure that's looking to withhold his holiness and goodness over your life. You know what the problem with that is? The Bible, the truth, the Bible clearly says that the enemy is our adversary. He's the father of lies. There is no truth in him. Luke chapter 12 reminds us, for all of us that need it, follower of God or not, it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Think about that for a moment. That little thing that you have inside of you, when you do good things for someone else, whether seen or unseen, that wakes up something inside of you, that's the God part of you. God gains joy for doing things for us. Why? Because to him, catch this, repetition of the same point, so that you'll walk out remembering it to us, to God, we are valuable. Jesus says this in John 10, 10, another famous verse. You've probably seen it on the back of somebody's car. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm out. That's the thief's job. That's the enemy's job. Jesus says, in contrast, I've come so that they could have life and have it to the full. 
We're the Jesus followers in the room. Listen, if we're not living a full life, then we've kind of abandoned the reason that Jesus came in the first place. Jesus says, I came so that my people could have life and have it abundantly. Take that, devil. The why of Jesus, it's actually pretty easy. You're valuable to him. And he wants you to have life to the full. Here's a good way to remember this. Your value plus his valor equals Easter. Both were needed. See, we only rescue things that are worth something to us. This is the feeling of Jesus. This is the conversation that happened with God and the Holy Spirit and his son. We have lost something valuable and we must get it back. See, don't you understand today? You were the reason for the mission. Not because you're so bad that somebody had to interrupt your train wreck. No, 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 no. You're so valuable that Jesus was compelled to act, to step down from his rightful place to get involved with your mess. So if you feel like he's standing at a distance in your story because he's so repulsed and he can't handle the smell, I want to tell you today that Jesus is right at home in your mess. Oh, preacher, how do you know that? Because I have spent 41 years Messing up my own story. If you're looking for a church with a perfect pastor, I would encourage you to go out to the parking lot and search for another address. I echo the words of Paul when he says, I am the chief of sinners. I know the depths of God's love and his purpose and plan because I have run from them so hard in my story believing that I could hide in the shadows of culture, and still Jesus found me. How about you? Now that you know the truth, I want to give you some words of caution. We have about four minutes left. Watch this. I want you to be on the lookout from things that would actually rob this truth from you. First, the world around you. There are social structures that we are forced to participate in. Things that we have to do, we're required to do, to live where we live. These are some dark times for individuals with the correct moral compass, aren't they? It may not always be this way, but it is this way now. For those of you that allow yourselves to get caught up in this, can I just give you a gift? You may want to jot this down if you're a worrier about the way the world is going. Hebrews 13, 14. This world, it's not our permanent home. Yeah, I'll I'll amen that. In fact, I've kind of gotten to the second part. We're looking forward to a home yet to come. Wouldn't it be nice to experience that upgrade? When the world triggers you, by the way, that's exactly what it's designed to do. This is the equation of the world. It triggers you to trap you. So as you're rolling through the news or you're rolling through social media or you're overhearing conversations, understand that people are spending billions of dollars to trigger you and trap you. John 10.10, that's not Jesus' goal. He's here for you to have life and have it to the full. That leads us to the second point. It's not only the world around you, it's also the world inside you. 
The only thing more complex that we must face than our culture and our society is the world that is inside of us. And God is aware of this vertical church and he gives us this promise. Don't be afraid. Let me repeat that. It was 2020. It It was a tough year, wasn't it? Don't be afraid. I'm with you, God says. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. This is personal for me, and I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous, look at the location, right hand. See, you have before you today, vertical, one of two choices when it comes to Easter. Not collectively, this is where it kind of gets personal for you individually. You could either choose life or you could choose death. Those are the only two choices. Jesus, with his teaching and his actions, has attempted to convince us that we should be choosing life. Because when we choose death, we choose something different than what he came for. So how do we honor the resurrection? How do we honor Easter? We honor the resurrection by living out its results. Believe this. When Jesus was doing what he did here, he was hopeful for you to experience life. Not just for a moment in a service at a church on Easter where you may feel manipulated from time to time. No, no, no. We're here to inspire you today that we are not the first people to assign value to you. God did that first. Here's what I want you to remember forever as we wrap this Easter service today before we sing together. I want you to remember that to Jesus, you were worth Easter. You were worth it. You contain that much value. And there's nothing you can do to take that value away. What a beautiful message. So before we stand in just a minute, we're not gonna draw the service out a long time. There are crawfish waiting on us. We're all aware. I just wanna pray for you in that pastor kind of way. And then we'll sing together. Let's pray. God, I have absolutely no way to find the words to say thank you for the fact that the people in this room have made it this far. Our sense of gratitude, God, some of us, we didn't walk in with it, but we're definitely gonna walk out with it. It's growing. We just wanna say thank you, Jesus, for a job well done, for committing to something and not giving up and convincing us today, even through that lap, that we're worth it.
final two songs, Jesus, just as a way to let this sink in for us today before we experience the beautiful gift of community on our lawn. Just ask Jesus that you would tune in just real close so we can say thanks. Thanks.